Welcome to the show, everybody. We've got an excellent guest, Len May, who started a company called Endocana, which, uh, well, if you've heard me talk about cannabis before or endocannabinoids, endocannabinoid system, any of that rhetoric, uh, we have a full podcast where we dive into genetics and cannabinoids, as well as terpenes and all sorts of other cool stuff. If you're not a fan of smoking weed, that is totally okay. This might change your mind. And uh, regardless if uh, cannabis is legal or not in your state, CBD is. And what's cool is Len May has developed a way to look at your own personal genetics, similar to 23andMe, and then take that through their data sets and see what works best with you for inflammation, pain, sleep management, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, it's really fantastic. And I, I'm fascinated by the new science that's coming out in particular to cannabinoids and different receptors in the body, as well as with plant medicines, tobacco, and other things of that nature, which we do get to dive into in this podcast. Uh, Len is awesome. He's got a cool story and he's given you guys 20% off. Just use Kyle 20 over at his website, which we'll link to in the show notes to get uh, a test from Endocana and figure all this cool stuff out for yourself. We are going to just jump right in to the sponsors. We are brought to you today by Organifi. And something I wanted to talk to you guys about is the Organifi travel packs. So they have canisters and they have travel packs. Um, Many of you have heard me talk about the red juice and the fact that I love using it for workouts. Um, they're travel packs. I just went out to Paul Checks for his 60th birthday, and it was an incredible celebration out in uh, Southern California. And I brought the Organifi red juice travel packs. The travel packs are great. For whatever reason, maybe it's because of the different mushroom blend and things like that, it can get a little clumpy in the canister. But in the travel packs, they're all single serving, super easy to travel with. And uh, even if it does get clumpy, it's no big deal. You just bust it up with a knife. But um, these travel packs are so convenient. Um, absolutely easy. I leave, I leave a couple in my fanny pack. They give you extra energy. They're antioxidant rich and they help with endurance. Uh, again, loaded with superfoods. Very low in carbohydrates. They have uh, cordyceps mushrooms, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushroom, and beets, as well as other things that help uh, any workout. And it doesn't have caffeine, so it stacks well if you're a caffeinated person like me. And if you're caffeine-free, it works just the same. But this is something I have pretty much every workout during my workout and as well as uh, when I travel because it just works so well at giving me extra energy and helping me to clear free radicals while I'm training hard or traveling and or traveling. Uh, airplane flights are not good on the body. It doesn't matter how short they are. There's a lot of electromagnetic pollution. And um, this is one of the ways that I counteract that. You can check this all out at Organifi.com slash KKP and use code KKP for 20% off everything in the store. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. Use code KKP at checkout. We're also brought to you by another one of my favorites for flights, Lucy.co. Lucy was developed by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. And they researched and developed this for three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that has three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. 
They also have a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine in cherry ice flavor. These products can be enjoyed anywhere, flights, at work, on the go, even in the gym. And yes, uh, I love nicotine. I love it in the gym. Anything that switches the brain on will help you work out better. Why do you think smelling salts work before somebody does a, a max effort lift? If you get switched on, you're going to be able to lift more. And um, you're just going to think more clearly. Uh, nicotine fits in the same receptor sites as acetylcholine, as I've mentioned before. Almost every nootropic on the planet is trying to increase acetylcholine. Uh, and they usually take something like citicoline or alpha-GPC and then pair that with something else that will then change that into acetylcholine. I think acetylcholine, you need a prescription to get. But guess what? Nicotine fits in those exact same receptors. Four milligrams is a great starting place for people that are first starting out, that aren't sure. Um, hopefully you have no history with bad forms of tobacco. But uh, yeah, if you don't have a history with it, Typically, people can uh, bite off more than they chew if they start with something that's a little stronger than this. So I think this four milligram dose is perfect. You can get 20% off any order over at lucy.co, L-U-C-Y.co, and use promo code KKP at checkout. That's lucy.co, promo code KKP. And uh, the disclaimer is this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Yes, it is, and highly worth it in my humble opinion. We're also brought to you by Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks, another thing I brought out. It's funny, I'm using all these. <laughs> I brought every single one of our sponsors out to checks. Uh, blue Blocks are my favorite blue blue light blocking glasses. Um, this is just a phenomenal company. These look great. Uh, they offer amazing products such as 100% blackout sleep mask and red light therapy devices and sleep-friendly light bulbs uh, also at their website. So there's a lot of cool things they have here. They have red bulbs as well. So um, one of the things I've been talking to people about in particular, and especially beneficial if you travel, is to be able to change your bulb out. So you have a nightlight that isn't going to fry your eyes. And you know, even if you're wearing blue blocking glasses, um, it's just better if you don't have any blue light period. And so these guys make bulbs, they make all sorts of cool stuff and they make really high quality Australian made uh, blue light blocking glasses. It's evidence-based from lab work, not mass produced in overseas factories. They come in non-prescription, prescription and reading magnification options. And you can also send us, you can also send them your own frames into customize into blue light glasses. They have the most stylish frames for blue light glasses and they're featured in GQ and Vogue. That's no BS. So to get the best evidence-based and stylish blue light glasses, visit blueblocks.com and use discount code KKP at checkout for 15% off. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. Discount code KKP at checkout. And the fourth and final ad read of the day is yet the last thing that I brought to Paul Checks with me, the uh, CBD. So no doubt, I couldn't have Len May on the podcast and then forget my CBD. We... Uh, when I head out to, I mean, like I said, flights are demanding and taxing. And even though I had a, a good seat, it's still a lot on my body. CBD is something that has helped me tremendously over the years. It helped me come off um, eight ibuprofen a day when I was fighting. And my soul CBD is my absolute favorite. Um, these guys have the best tasting CBD products on the planet. They have gummies, they have capsules. They're doing some really cool stuff with their capsules actually, where they have an alert that has caffeine. They have a dream that has melatonin and lemon balm, some other stuff, relief, chill, immunity. 
They have CBD cream that really helps with pain management on the local areas. And um, their oil drops are just the best. Peppermint, orange, lemon lime, and watermelon mint. I absolutely love watermelon mint. Bear loves it. They come in 500 milligram, 1,000 milligram, and 1,500 milligram strengths. All this stuff is phenomenal. It helps me with inflammation, anxiety, and sleep. You can check it out and see how this stuff works for you over at mysoulcbd.com. That's M-Y-S-O-U-L-C-B-D.com and apply code KKP at checkout for 15% off your order. And uh, this company is started by Mike Lee, a world-ranked professional boxer. He's going to be coming on the show soon. So you get to hear more straight from him. But that's it. Uh, support our sponsors. They really make this show possible. And check out my dude, Len May with Endocana. Len May, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my podcast producer extraordinaire, Roy Matz, was telling me about you, and I was I was just chomping at the bit and uh, really wanted to get you on. But I wanted to do something first, so we've had a few reschedules in the works here, and uh, my <laughs> lazy ass has not yet completed what I wanted to complete in uh, in taking your test prior to the podcast, but I know we've got plenty to discuss here. Um, where are you in Canada? No, nah, I'm in LA. LA, okay. I don't know why. Yeah. I must have been thinking of my boy, Doctor Mike Hart. Anywho, um, tell us a bit about yourself and what what got you into um, the field of genetics and cannabis. Yeah, well, I'm. <clears throat> I appreciate being on and Royce. Uh, uh, just to give him some props, he did the theme song for my podcast as well and produces uh, some of my stuff. So, yeah, he's definitely uh, a gifted uh, producer that has a lot more to offer than just, uh, you know, editing shows. Um, so my, my background is uh, I was actually born in a, a country called Lithuania and immigrated uh, when I was about six years old to Philadelphia. And when I was uh, a kid, I basically would go to school, and uh, as a as an early teen, uh, like all these windows would pop open in my head, and uh, I would I would be the kid that doesn't pay attention in class, not overly disruptive, but didn't pay attention. So I got diagnosed with ADD, and they tried to put me on all kinds of prescription medication, and uh, you know some of it worked, but all of it sucked. And I was hanging out with some older kids. Uh, I think this is like freshman year of high school. And they asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette with them. It's like, yeah, you know, I'll smoke a cigarette. So they had one cigarette. They would walk over uh, next to the school and they, you know, take drags and they pass it over to me. I take a drag with a cigarette, inhale, cough, because I dabbled in cigarettes before. Uh, it doesn't didn't taste like a cigarette. Uh, and they filled it with cannabis. Um, so I went back to class and all the windows in my head sort of slowed down. And I could focus and pay attention. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And eventually, I just stopped taking any prescription medication. And cannabis became my uh, medicine of choice. And uh, my parents didn't really uh, like that too much. So they ended up catching me. And you know, I would get kicked out and get in trouble and all this stuff. And then eventually, when I was uh, around uh, 18, 17, uh, they actually ended up uh, calling the cops on me and trying to have me arrested. And oh, they wow. kind of kicked me out. The irony of this whole thing is uh, that my parents both consume formulations and stuff that I made for them now. So it all came full circle. <laughs> kicked me out, tried to get me arrested, but now are taking the same meds. So it's pretty funny. But uh, 
you know, the journey started with that. And, and from, from there, I became an activist. So I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network. So fought for legalization, held the first ever rally at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And uh, the, uh, the other sort of aha moment that allowed me to kind of figure out that this is uh, a medicine was uh, when I held my rally in Philadelphia, my keynote speaker was this lady named Elvi Masika. And uh, she had a degenerative glaucoma, legally blind, and she was one of the first people, one of the 16, I think, that got NIDA prescribed cannabis, which is where the government actually cultivates cannabis in Mississippi and legally provides it to certain patients with certain conditions, or they used to under that program. And it is federal land. And when I saw her light up a joint in front of federal rangers, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is the future. And this is back in 1993. So it took a few years for Pennsylvania to get with it. But the moment was when everybody slept over my house after the rally, we got woken up to a loud noise. And uh, the noise was I was dating this girl who was an artist and she made the sculpture in my house. And LB being blind, when she woke up, she didn't see it. She walked into it and broke it in pieces. And she felt really bad. But what I saw was that when she started to medicate, she could see again, still wore her, you know, uh, big glasses and stuff, but she could see. So I'm like, oh, well, this is medicine. Uh, not just for me, but I can see working right in front of my eyes. No pun intended. But uh, uh, about, you know, I met my uh, the girl I was dating who ended up being my wife and ended up being my ex-wife. And she told me I had to get a corporate job. So for a little while, I got into corporate. I worked at a company called Pricewaterhouse for doing consulting. And I was a commercial real estate broker. And then it brought me out to L.A. Um, and this is about 13 years ago or so. And I got into the dispensary space. I thought that this was the best way for me to help as many people as possible. And my moment of understanding where cannabis became a personal experience, uh, I always knew you know, people had different experiences, but I never thought about it in this matter. So one of the guys I was working with asked if uh, he, you know, we want to consume some cannabis. I said, yeah, sure. I was like, what do you have? And I said, uh, yeah, this stuff is a sativa uh, dominant, I believe. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I can't have that. Uh, that stuff puts me to sleep. I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. I always remember being taught like indicas in the couch, indicas down and sativas up. But he had an opposite reaction. So one of the things I started uh, in the, the form of ADD that I have, I can do, I can multitask or I can hyper-focus. And this became my obsession. So I try to find a solution of why this is happening, why two people with the same symptomatic condition will walk into a shop and uh, both of them consume the same cultivar or cannabis strain as uh, some people refer to and have a completely different experience. So I came across a video by a guy named Kevin McKernan, who was uh, one of the first people to genetically sequence cannabis. Uh, ended up, long story, uh, probably a little bit longer, but I ended up working with Kevin uh, what I was doing was I was traveling the United States and uh, Canada and collecting samples of different uh, cannabis uh, uh, strains or, uh, or cultivars, bringing it to my lab, extracting the DNA from that, and sending it to a lab in Boston into a sequencer so we can start sequencing genetically the different cannabis uh, uh, cultivars. And we could see an example would be I would collect like five samples of, uh, of Blue Dream and from there, I could see that you know two of them are identical, so they must be you know Blue Dream, and two of them are 
related. They have some uh, similarities, but not Blue Dream. And the fifth one really wasn't even close to Blue Dream. And having that library, one of the other uh, things to match everything together was that uh, the parent company of uh, where Kevin was uh, was at, where I was consulting, was a pharmacogenomics company. They used genetics and DNA to uh, do diagnostic testing on different conditions like cancer, uh, autism, and epilepsy. So they had a meeting at Harvard Medical School with a bunch of doctors that were treating kids uh, with epilepsy and other things, but mostly epilepsy using cannabis. And a lot of them were having amazing experiences. They were saying they were going from 100 seizures to zero, but some of them were coming back and saying they had some outliers, meaning that either it wasn't working for them that well or the seizures were coming back. So when we did the uh, genetic scanning and analysis of those kids, we saw that they had gen- genes in common or, or what we call polymorphisms, which are you know genetic uh, uh, associations with, uh, with that specific uh, genotype that m- was a, a specific form of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome. And we published an article on that. Long story short, GW Pharmaceuticals uh, picked up on that and they, they created the first FDA-approved product know, years later uh, for that specific form of uh, epilepsy, Dravet syndrome. So when I uh, realized that you can focus on specific biomarkers and specific uh, genes, and we had plant genetics, we had human genetics, wanted to bring those two together. So I approached them. They really wanted to focus on the plant. So in uh, 2017, uh, we launched Endocana Health. And that's sort of a a long-winded story of how I got into it. I can kind of... uh, go into a little more detail as a, uh, if you would like. Yeah, please. I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me. I mean, growing up in California, I never was too into cannabis when I was young. Uh, obviously was going around in school. I got into it heavily in college, not, I mean, more just recreationally. And then, uh, in fighting after having discontinued for some time, I started to realize like this was an actual medicine and a tool that could help me with inflammation, with sleep, lowering anxiety, obviously in fight camps. Uh, I was pretty <laughs> pretty nervous or anxious at night going to bed, thinking about my training, those kind of things. And it really became a beautiful tool for me to be able to fall asleep at night. And um, it didn't impact my cardio, you know, like the drinking alcohol, wood, Coke, any of the obviously fucking hard drugs. They're not going to help me when it comes to my training and they're always a hindrance, but cannabis was not a hindrance. I mean, I could, I could smoke the night before uh, sparring day and, and go and have great sessions sparring. I know a lot of guys that train on cannabis and have phenomenal cardio runners, different people like that. So with that kind of misnomer out of the equation, I really started to look at this as, um, as a tool. And obviously I think, uh, we're, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg when it comes to really understanding what all these alkaloids and cannab- uh, cannabinoids do, terpenes, the whole lot. I want you to dive into all that stuff. I mean, l- let's get nitty gritty here. If there's, you know, and for, for people that, are, that didn't grow up in California or you know, live in a state where they don't have access or some of the best things, um, I want the information here to really just cover so much for so many people so that they do know and they do know where a place to start. And that's what I, one of the reasons I think the company that you have is is bridging that gap for so many people. You know, um, yeah. one more quick thing I'll riff on is how uh, when I smoked with my dad for the first time, I was 21 and um, he had come out to Arizona and 
I gave him, uh, we were passing around like a little one foot bong. I'm like, I oh, will use the small one, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, we just had one rip and we were watching an old movie like a Young Frankenstein or, or Blazing Saddles. And I'm dying laughing with my roommate and my other buddies. And he's quiet as a church mouse. And I look over and I'm like, what's going on, dude? You all right? And he was like, too much. It's too, too much. It's not the same. It's not the same. And I was like, what's not the same? He goes, the weed, the cannabis. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, it's different now. Right. So I think for a lot of people that, it, you know, if you're a little bit older and you're first coming back to it, it's impo really important to know what you're getting into and what the response is going to be. So um, this is all super valuable information for me, especially since I've, I've really in large part switched over to mainly CBD and things of that nature, but I'm, I'm always yeah. curious and, and, uh, and I'm super down to take the deep dive with you. So let's, let's get in here, yeah. get nitty gritty on anything you want to unpack, brother. Yeah, let, let's do that. It's funny, your story about your, your dad. I, I uh, smoked with my dad for the first time when I was, uh, uh, I don't know, like 45, maybe. So, <laughs> And he had a very similar experience. And we only took, I said, take like one or two hits. And he was quiet and he didn't say anything. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, can we get some water? I'm like, oh, okay, you're high. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, and I was in a show and this guy, this, the host of the show goes, uh, yeah, so back in the day, this is the way we measure uh, how much we consume. He said, uh, one joint equals one beer. I said, no way, brother. <laughs> Not anymore, man. <laughs> if you're going to consume a whole joint, uh, you will be under the table, man. There's no way you can compare the two. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, I'll, I'll get into the the real deep uh, dive into the science of it because I, I think it's interesting. So when we launched Endocana Health in 2017, uh, the first six or seven months or so, all we did was research. So we looked at every single uh, SNP, which is a single nucleotide polymorphism, which is uh, uh, basically your, your genes. Uh, we looked at every single one of them that has a direct or indirect association with your endocannabinoid system. And I'll explain the endocannabinoid system at a really high level. I'm sure your audience, most of them already know what that is. But your endocannabinoid system is the primary regulatory system. It regulates a lot of the other systems within our bodies, like the endocrine system, uh, the nervous system, uh, immune, digestive, all these different systems. And the way that it does that is by getting signals from those systems. And it's like salmon swimming upstream. It goes back up uh, your central nervous system to your brain, uh, most uh, amygdala and a couple other parts of your brain, and it sends those signals back where the uh, where those there may be imbalances in some of those systems. And the way that it regulates the the systems, it releases its own endogenous endocannabinoids. So the two endogenous endocannabinoids that it releases are uh, anandamide, and anandamide the uh, the word anandamide in Sanskrit means bliss. So this is your bliss hormone. And uh, that one is the one that's closely related to, um, to THC. So when you consume cannabis THC, uh, you have a binding affinity. So that THC binds to your CB1 receptor and it stimulates the production of anandamide, which is our endogenous endocannabinoid. The second one is called 2-AG. It's 2 arachnidonoglycerol, but it's much easier to uh, say 2-AG. And that one is uh, more, um, think about your immune and digestive system. 
being regulated by 2AG. Uh, it's it's your CB2 receptor. And when you consume CBD, for instance, it has a greater affinity for the CB2 receptor, which then regulates and, and uh, modulates your immune and digestive system. So when you're saying CBD, it really works great as an anti-inflammatory because it helps regulate those systems. And uh, THC uh, helps to uh, regulate mood, uh, so when you have uh, anxiety and stress and and uh, uh, some depressive states, it also works as an analgesic uh, and a bunch of different other benefits. However, you know, cannabis is a personal experience, and and cannabis itself, the plant itself, has close to around five hundred different components uh, in it, and the, a lot of them we don't even know what they do. So we've identified, as you were mentioning, Kyle, you, uh, we identified cannabinoids, right? So the cannabinoids, uh, the phytocannabinoids in the plant, are it's basically the genetics of this plant. It produces all these different molecules, and they work together to create an, an effect. And the terpenes are basically essential oils. So every single plant has essential oils. They're all terpenes, and in cannabis, they give it its smell. And they work together in concert with the cannabinoids to produce an effect. So to give an, an example of that would be if you're consuming uh, cannabis, when we talk about sativa and indica. So the original land race uh, indica kind of uh, uh, cultivars or strains, they originated in like Southeast Asia, uh, where they had a harsher climate in that area. They had four seasons. So this plant uh, was sort of, it looks a little bit bushier. Uh, the leaves are a little bit wider. And the the smell when you actually cure the bud and you grow it, it has this diesel uh, diesel musky kind of uh, skunky smell, and that's associated with the primary uh, terpene, the essential oil called myrcene, and that is associated with what we would refer to as an indica dominant plant because that myrcene together with the the cannabinoids is sedative. Now the other plants that grew uh, were more. Uh, in in a in a different climate, like in South Africa with the Durbans and in uh, Hawaii with uh, the Maui's, <clears throat> they produced. They grew a little bit different. They stretched taller to the sun. The leaves are a little bit uh, thinner. And when you produce the flower from that uh, bud, that has a little bit of a fruitier kind of smell associated with that. So that is uh, an even citrusy, and that's associated with a terpene profile called limonene. And limonene has been shown in studies to give you a little bit of boost of the dopamine when you uh, when you merge it together with the other cannabinoids. That gives you the up feeling. So that's where the sativas and indicas kind of came from. <clears throat> but all that is, uh, is done because uh, we've crossbred so many different uh, strains and, and cultivars and chemovars that really that that pure indica and sativa doesn't exist. So if you if you're looking for an experience, you have to look at the cannabinoid profile and then you have to look at the terpene profile. And the challenge is that not a lot of not a lot of states actually uh, require uh, for you to do testing of terpenes. And I would encourage people to do just manufacturers to do testing of terpenes and provide them to the users. And, uh, you know, if states want to mandate that, if uh, we can't voluntarily do that, unfortunately, maybe that's that's a, a path that we can go uh, by. But people need to be informed. Like the same way you go into your vitamin shop and you buy your supplements, no matter where you are, you know exactly what's on there because it's on the label. When you go into a dispensary, even with CBD, as you were mentioning, Kyle, 
you never know what you're putting in your body. And that's the thing that we want to make sure that everybody knows. You want to know what you're putting in your body, and then you want to know what aligns best with you based on your genetic predisposition, knowing your blueprint first. Absolutely. Uh, I will say no government mandates. <laughs> Fuck all that noise. No more government mandates. Uh, all right. The, no, the, more. The, no, uh, no more government mandates. I'm, I'm with you. We'll the, do it voluntarily the, ourselves. Economics can handle that, right? I mean, if I go to a dispensary when I'm back in California and there's a particular brand that shows me the most about each product and has third-party testing and things of that nature, then that's likely something I'm going to buy, even if it costs a bit more um, to the end user, just for the fact that I'm going to know what I'm getting, right? And I think that that can the market can determine um, that kind of thing. And there's look, there's still going to be people out there that are like, just give me a bag of weed or whatever. You know, they have yep. no real idea. Those are the equivalent of people that don't mind drinking a box of Franzia wine. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I assume that at this stage of the game and, and clearly not any of my listeners, but if you're going to dabble, do it right. You know, and, and uh, that's where this information really comes in handy. Um, what have you found in terms of the different combinations? You talked about, you know, these main distinctions that... Um, a lot of people might have known as far as sativa versus indica. And, and mm -hmm. to your point, I mean, that, that was something that um, that always blew my mind. I had a good buddy of mine. I'll leave his name nameless here, even though he lives in California. Um, same thing. He'd have, he'd have an indica and he'd be wide awake. Like he'd want to go outside and work on the house, mow the lawn, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, sativas would make him quiet and introspective. But he never could sleep on any strain. You know, and like I would just be knocked out. I could knock out at 8 p.m. if I wanted to on an indica. So the, the variety there is, um, you know, based on your own genetics is super important. But yeah. still on the topic of cannabis itself, um, what are some of the things that you guys have found? Because, you know, it's been a while. I've been out of California for four years now. But I remember hearing stuff like um, based on how they they dried the the flowers and things of that nature that it could increase THC versus THCA, things like that. I mean, expand a little bit more on on that in terms of like how these different cannabinoids affect. You know, CBN has the ability to make you more tranquil. CBG a little bit more uplifting. What what are what are some of the things that you guys have discovered since uh, really taking a deeper dive into this? Yeah, I mean it's a great question too, and uh, and uh, thank you for bringing up the the curing process and how it works. <clears throat> so when you grow the cannabis plant, and uh, you you grow however whatever you grow method is, uh, they have these uh, uh, things called trichomes where you have the THC and the CBD, all all the different cannabinoids. Uh, they fill up these trichomes. So when they're filled and they change this color. Uh, to become this amber color, that means that it's ripe and ready. So what you do in a cultivation is you s try to uh, sort of simulate the way the plant will grow in nature. Uh, you give it a little bit of stress uh, right at the end because that plant's ready to produce uh, when it's stressed. And when it's stressed, it has the best potential to express its, uh, its terpene profile optimally. So when you cut that plant down and those trichomes turn that amber color, you 
you do the curing, which is the drying method. And what you want to do optimally, uh, you know, they found, I'm not a cultivator, by the way, so I'm just prefacing that. <clears throat> so if anybody's uh, a cultivator and they can, you know, call Hey, man, you got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to explain the best of, uh, of my ability because I've been in enough cultivation facilities to, to know. Um, so the idea is to replicate the environment where it naturally uh you know, land race comes from. So if it comes from more of a humid climate, you want to create the the temperature and the humidity level similar to that. And when you're drying it, now the flower is curing. So all those cannabinoids, those minor cannabinoids and the major cannabinoids, they express themselves as well as the terpene profile. So you have those smells and you cut it down and then you have your flower that's dried. Now, as you were mentioning, Kyle, you have these uh, other cannabinoids, uh, you know, as CBG, for instance, which is, which is really the parent uh, cannabinoid. All the other cannabinoids come from CBG. And actually, it's CBGA because all the cannabinoids, until you decarboxylate, which I'll explain what that is, have this acid molecule. And CBN is a little bit different. I'll explain that too. But when you, when you have this plant, it has, you know, mostly uh, T, if you're cultivating for THC, it mostly has THCA and then all the other uh, minor cannabinoids, as you mentioned, uh, you know, THCV for some of them, uh, CBG, et cetera. But it has this acid molecule. So until you heat cannabis, when you heat it, it actually converts, it drops the acid molecule and it converts to delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, which is THC, and it does that with the other molecules. So the reason why is because when it has the acid molecule, the A molecule attached to it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't get you high. So it doesn't have the binding to the receptor. I'm sure you heard and your audience heard uh, the lock and key. So when you actually consume THC, we have a receptor, that CB1 receptor, and it binds to that, you know, to that lock. It has the key or vice versa to that lock, right? So until it drops that acid molecule, it doesn't fit. So it's not going to give you that affinity and make you high. And uh, that when, so when you heat it, it's called a decarboxylation process where it actually drops the acid molecule and converts. And it does that with same thing with CBD. If you're cultivating a high CBD cultivar strain, it'll also, when you heat it, it's CBDA and you drop the, uh, the acid molecule and you get the effect. <clears throat> but you can, cold, you can consume raw cannabis. Uh, it's, it's very high and protein and omega uh, fats and all that other stuff. So it's it's good for you too, you know, putting your smoothie or whatever, but it's not going to get you high. Uh, CBN is different. CBN is actually a derivative of a deterioration of THC. So like back in the day when we didn't know, we would leave like a bag of weed in the car or some of that. And uh, you're like you come back, you're searching for weed and like a month later, oh, I found this bag and it's great. And everybody smokes and they're couch locked. Like, oh, what happened? Well, maybe that bag was in direct sunlight and it converted the THC that's in there to CBN. Uh, the way that I sort of explain that is like uh, a banana. So when, you're, you, when a banana is kind of green, it's greenish, it doesn't have its full capabilities yet. It's not as sweet as it can be. It didn't really uh, express itself to its full uh, potential. When it's perfectly yellow, that's when you get the most you know, vitamins and the most nutrients from that banana and it tastes the best. Now, 
when the banana starts getting brown, some of those things that are in it convert to different substances. And that's sort of what CBN does. So it's a, it's a converted uh, deterioration of THC. And you can manipulate it in a lab and make CBN, but that's really what, what CBN is. And like to answer your question, what we found is this whole thing of this personalized experience. You know, it's, it's the combination of, of the cannabinoids and terpenes for the individual DNA makes the biggest difference. So I'll give you an example of a, a really common uh, trait. So a lot of people have a predisposition to stress reactivity. I talk to a lot of people about, okay, uh, you know, well, cannabis and like, oh, no, I, I don't smoke weed. It makes me paranoid. It, it gives me anxiety. Oh, well, what is it? What are you putting in your body? Which they don't know. First of all, know what you're putting in your body like anything else. But there is a genetic predisposition that a lot of people have for stress reactivity. So I'll try to explain it this way, that the, there is a gene, uh, it's called fatty acid amide hydrolase. So for those to remember really, really quickly, it's FAAH, F-A-A-H. And that gene uh, <clears throat> or that SNP produces an enzyme that breaks down uh, anandamide. And remember, anandamide is that bliss hormone that THC mimics. So what happens to a lot of people uh, who are prone to stressful events, if uh, if you have a stressful event, like you were saying, you know, I don't, I can't think of too many more stressful things than getting in an octagon with somebody and you know getting ready uh, to battle uh, for your life. Basically, I mean, there's a lot of stress that goes on, and obviously, you've you've dealt with that, and, and fighters deal with that, and they have techniques. But somebody who's a who's an average person who walks down the street and a car almost hits him. You have all these chemicals that are pumped into your bloodstream. You have dopamine, you have adrenaline, norepinephrine, you have cortisol that's pumped into your bloodstream. And then when you realize, your brain realizes there's no lion chasing in the jungle, it starts releasing its own endogenous uh, chemicals to be able to get you back to balance. And the role of the endocannabinoid system is just to do that, to get you back into homeostasis, which is balance. And it, it releases anandamide to give you that blissful feeling. But FA breaks down anandamide. So people that have a genotype, and the, the genotype for, uh, for this is called homozygous. So it's the same exact variant. And if I'm getting really science, I'll explain what that is. Uh, but the same two identical nucleotides, like a CC uh, nucleotide, uh, that would be, that would, uh, that's what's called a homozygous uh, genotype. And basically what happens is people that have this genotype produce more FA than the average population. So think of it as like sort of Pac-Man pho that eats anandamide. So the more pho you have, the less endogenous what you produce yourself, the less anandamide that you produce. So over time, people are much mo more prone to stress. And over time, as they uh, continue to release less anandamide, they continue to produce more cortisol. And some of that cortisol stays in your bloodstream and actually helps to reduce your pH level, so makes you more acidic. And when it happens, your immune system uh, can create an overactive immune response, like uh, what we heard, you know, cytokine. And when that happens, we start walking around and feeling pain, usually in our joints, our ankles, knees, uh, elbows, wrists, etc. And then if people have a predisposition to gut health issues like IBD, it starts moving your gut. 
So you talk to a lot of people that have uh, you know predispositions to anxiety and stress reactivity, and they also have some pain, and that pain is uh, mostly due uh, to the you know to the lower pH and this overactive amino response. So there's a solution for this because if you consume some THC, uh, that THC binds to the CB1 receptor and helps to modify the naturally occurring uh, anandamide levels that you have. And because you have a deficiency in that, you're, you know, you're getting some THC that can help bridge that gap that you naturally have. However, if you consume too much THC and a terpene profile, like I mentioned before, limonene, uh, pinene, things that give you that up feeling, now it triggers. So because you have an, uh, a genetic predisposition, now you epigenetically trigger the expression of that stress reactivity. And when that happens, you can be prone to that anxiety uh, showing up. So to mitigate that, what we've found is somebody that has this predisposition may want to consume something that's a little more balanced. So maybe a 50-50, one part THC, one part CBD, because CBD works as an adverse agonist of THC as well. So it gives you that sort of balance. Uh, and then also the terpene profiles, like for instance, linalool, which is also found in lavender and has a lavendery kind of smell to that. It's been shown in studies to reduce... Uh, the anxiety that can be provoked by THC. And then something like beta-caryophyllin, which is another terpene profile, and it's also found in clove, and it's found in black pepper, and it has, a, uh, it has an affinity for the CB2 receptor, which helps with inflammation. So together, we found that people that have this genetic predisposition that consume a formulation that's more aligned to them, they have a much more optimal experience with their cannabis use. It's crazy the way the body works. I mean, I'm just thinking about people like that. And I, I haven't even, you know, we're, we're, I'm going to do it today. Let me say that right now. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to turn in the endo D, endo DNA right now. But, uh, the, um, you know, this idea that if your body is, is naturally averse to, or, or naturally taking away your own anandamide, uh, production, that if you get a flood of anandamide, it's going to react like, hey, this is too good of a feeling. We need to react to this. You know, like, like it's like freaking out about too you're, much you're of a good so, thing. I, like, I love the way you describe that too, man, because this is the main thing. Okay, I, I'm, I'm here, you know, we have a DNA company and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, people got to listen to their bodies, man. If your body's telling you that something doesn't feel right, maybe it's time to pause or you have too much. You really need to be in tune with uh, with what your body is telling you because that's the the best barometer of everything. It's giving you that indication. And and the other thing is, you know, one of the things that I do, I talk to people when I when I give uh, you know talks in person when, when we used to be able to do that. One of the things I ask people, I'm like, how many people had a bad experience with an edible? And like, I don't know, eighty percent of the room raised their hand. Oh yeah. Well, well, that's that's a whole other experience because the way we metabolize uh, different uh, things is all it's a personal experience to begin with, and we have in in cannabis, for instance, when you eat <clears throat> cannabinoids THC and CBD, and it goes through your liver, your liver converts your THC to a different uh, substance altogether. It's called 11 oxyhydroxide delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol, so 11 OH. And it can be five to 50 times more powerful than you know, smoking T, uh, THC, 
and CBD is converted as well. So when you anything that your liver converts, and if you're a poor metabolizer, well, guess what? You will have a slower onset, so it won't act as quickly as you know. You, everybody, everybody takes some gummies, and you guys go out somewhere, and everybody takes the same amount at the same time. Well, you know, maybe if I'm a poor metabolizer, you guys are all feeling it. I'm not feeling it for another hour, forty-five minutes. So when mine hits, it hits extremely, extremely hard. So now I have a very, very intense experience with my edible. And if I have a predisposition to something like we were talking about anxiety or something like uh, a psychosis even, it can actually trigger that predisposition and people can have a very intense, you know, psychotic type of episode, which is uh, disassociative. So absolutely listening to your body is key. And, and, you know, the endocannabinoid system wasn't discovered until 1992. So this is a brand new system. And there's so many doctors that don't even know that it exists. And you're being treated uh, by healthcare professionals that don't know that there is a primary regulatory system within your body. So just be aware uh, when you're speaking to your healthcare professional, have a collaborative discussion. You know, Talk to them about your endocannabinoid system, what they think about that. Uh, like one of the things that we've also done is we worked with pain management specialists uh, that were prescribing a lot of opioids. And when I talked to them, I was saying, uh, you know, what's the reason for that? And like, well, you know, we don't know what alternatives there are. And also our patients keep asking for them. So, well, what if I showed you, you know, using our test uh, or, you know, another test that some somebody may be predisposed to opioid dependence? He's like, well, that would be fantastic. So uh, we have doctors right now that are using our tests in their clinics to show their patients they have a predisposition to opioid dependence, and they're suggesting, you know, a, a cannabinoid treatment uh, instead as an alternative. Yeah, far far better. Anytime we can redirect and back to nature, I think there are going to be much much more positive results there. I've had, you know, I, I've heard that it's common, not super common, but it is common enough for um, some people who would utilize cannabis for pain and actually draws the awareness to the pain rather than numbing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is that, is that fairly common as you guys have looked through this? Yeah, for different people, it, it definitely can uh, can accentuate those those feelings. So it's uh, it's sort of, uh, there, there are a combination of genes for that. Uh, one of them is the gene that's associated with PTSD, it's a CNR1 uh, gene. So what, what's been happening in, in studies that we've been involved with, uh, some people that have this, uh, this experience, sometimes what it does, it draws an experience from their subconscious. So let's say that somebody is prone to um, stress reactivity, as I was mentioning before, and they have a combination of uh, that FA gene that I was mentioning and that CNR1. Uh, what happens is uh, that your, your brain actually tries to store uh, things in, in your subconscious to conserve, uh, you know, energy. And uh, <clears throat> when somebody is having a stressful event, for instance, uh, they now are not only present in the moment. So if I'm sitting here in my office, uh, you know, smoking a joint, and uh, I start feeling a little bit stressed because cannabis THC is a vasodilator, so it dilates your blood vessels, it makes your heart pump faster, so it's a normal occurrence from consuming cannabis. 
your heart's going to pump a little faster. But if you have that predisposition to that stress and anxiety, now you may be triggering that. If you also have a predisposition to PTSD or uh, fear extinction, now it's not only bringing up the event that you're in right in the moment, it's also bringing up an event that happened to you five years ago or 10 years ago when you were a kid, and it helps to bring all that up to the surface. And then as you were saying, for some people, it actually accentuates the feelings of pain. Instead of working as an analgesic, you start hyper-focusing on that area where you have pain and associating with maybe another experience where you had pain before. So absolutely, it can work as an analgesic for a lot of people. But if you're getting, if you have a predisposition for uh, something that, and you're consuming the, uh, cannabis that's misaligned to you, you can actually have a, a more adverse experience rather than an optimal experience. And when we <clears throat> when we spoke to the FDA once, the FDA asked us, "What's the reason? Like, what's the goal of your business? What are you What are you creating this for?" And we answered that the number one reason is to help people avoid an adverse event, so an adverse effect, so they can have a more optimal experience with their cannabis use. And that's that's the overall goal of our business. We like I, I always felt, you know, it's sort of when when you have a kid and uh, you have to baby proof the house. So one of the things you want to do is cover the sharp corners. So I look at it this way: that our goal is to help, uh, you know, avoid those sharp corners, so somebody doesn't get, you know, hurt. That's that's basically the uh, the reason why. Yeah, it's it's such an important piece there. You you touched on a really important topic too. You know that that's often talked about uh, with psychedelics and theogens, which are plant. You know, also you know, aka plant medicines. Cannabis, of course, is a plant medicine. Um, and I've, I've said before on this podcast, I'd rather have a high-dose mushroom experience and deal with the consequences of that than any high-dose edible experience. I feel like I can navigate the waters of psilocybin a lot easier than I can uh, with a high-dose edible of, of THC. But um, you know, to your point on PTSD and things of this nature, if it's going to re, you know, one of the beautiful things about plant medicine is that we can revisit the past and see from new angles and new perspective and actually heal from that experience. This comes with intention, the right set and setting and the right guidance. And a lot of people, you know, like uh, Terrence or not Terrence, Dennis McKenna and Rick Doblin have both said there are no bad trips. There's only challenging experiences. And if we, if we apply that to cannabis, I think the same is true. A lot of times people find themselves in that situation because they have an idea. I'm going to take this thing to feel a certain way. Now, if you've been listening this long, you should know we're not going to do that with something like psilocybin. Like I don't take psilocybin to get high. I don't take uh, LSD to get high. Even though I might celebrate with that, I'm fully aware of the potentials that that may bring up. Um, but with cannabis, we treat it that way. A lot of people do. And the truth is, if you've got some shit buried deep, and you got some skeletons in the closet that can come out and it's dose dependent. And obviously everything that you guys are doing can really help one avoid that or say yes to that knowingly. Right. And with intention, revisit those things. And I think that's such an important piece to know, like, Hey, this is a super powerful plant medicine when used in that context. And Terrence McKenna said, you know, the, the idea of using cannabis regularly misses the point. If you take time, uh, in between and then smoke as much as you can possibly handle 
then you're going to have a psychedelic experience. And, and even though I wouldn't necessarily do it the way he, he recommended, um, it's, it's true in that it's going to be one hell of an experience. So I think having all of the, the, the importance of a safe container, the importance of the right guides around you and treating it as such with intention, even a dieta where you unplug from yeah. social media and podcasts and just, you know, really get clear, spend time in nature and quiet your mind before entering into that space. And, and upon returning from that space, I think are super important. Yeah, you couldn't have said it better. It's a hundred percent set in setting. I I look at THC as a psychotropic. I will put it in the same category as the things that you mentioned before: uh, psilocybin and, and uh, ketamine and uh, disassociatives and uh, MDMA, etc. So uh, some people use it to feel good. Some people use it not to feel. And the set and setting is is extremely important. Uh, one of the things that we're doing right now is. Uh, um, I'll let your audience uh, in on it. Uh, I guess uh, now we're we're creating a uh, a mental health test. Uh, so one of the things that we found that's super and super important. Look, at the end of the day, uh, the science behind what we do is super cool, and we're doing so many amazing uh, research projects. Uh, we just published one on uh, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome with Dr. Ethan Russo. Uh, you can look it up on on PubMed. That is a genetic uh, association with that condition. We're doing some research in Harvard uh, Medical School. Uh, we're with CU Boulder, et cetera. So we're, we're super, super proud of the research that we're doing. But in addition, you know, th- this whole thing of mental health, it, it's such a huge, huge thing because, as, and you know this, I mean, it really, really affects your physical health and, and so, in so many different ways. And I'm a fan of microdosing. I'm a fan of, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics and psychotropics. And I put THC, like I said, in that category. But one of the things we were, we were talking about with, uh, with clinics who are administering uh, psycho- psychotropic treatments is what is most important to you? What is it that you want to achieve with uh, your patients and, and uh, who are coming to your clinics? And they said, well, number one, one of the issues that we have is we're not really sure which psychotropic is best for their symptomatic conditions. Uh, that's first. So we have different options. So let's say somebody is prone to depression, right? Depressive states. So now you know that uh, there has been studies that showed that maybe ketamine and psilocybin and maybe MDMA, they've been effective uh, for treatment of uh, depressive states. Okay, well, that's that's one. The second thing is, what are the potential side effects or adverse effects of, of those treatments? And I agree with you about the bad trip, by the way. Absolutely, I, I think that there's a message that you should uncover a little bit more. However, you know, some people may not be prepared to do that discovery in, in, a, certain, uh, in a certain setting. So when, you, when a clinic is treating somebody and they want to know that <clears throat> like ketamine may express some stress or anxiety as, as a side effect uh, for certain people. And if they know this, then they know is, is Bob uh, that's getting this treatment, is, does he have a genetic predisposition to that stress reactivity, to that anxiety? Uh, if yes, what can we do with Bob in advance? What about maybe even you know, like holding Bob's hand or having something there uh, to support Bob so he doesn't have that adverse experience or that that side effect. Even though there may be a message there that you may want to uncover a little bit more, 
uh, there's a way to be able to mitigate the expression of that, uh, of that adverse effect so you can have a, you know, a better experience with your psychotropic uh, uh, consumption as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So you guys are looking into the genetics um, with various plant medicines now, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we just filed a patent on the, on that test, but we're going to be coming out with a test that's focusing on mental health and it's uh, a lot of psychotropic, uh, you know, indications on that, but it's, it's fully mental health because we've been realizing uh, through doing this for the last, you know, four years or so that a lot of these conditions are, are so related and it's like, I'll give you another example. So my buddy was going through a divorce and he's not a huge uh, wee guy. And uh, he uh, he called me up. He's like, hey, man, I know you always talk about, you know, cannabis is uh, supposed to make you feel better. I'm smoking and I can't get out of bed. And every day I'm smoking more and it's making me feel worse. I'm like, well, what are you, what are you smoking? And he's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, all right, find the package. Let me see. All right. So he was consuming a... Uh, a, what we would refer to as like an indica dominant uh, strain, which uh, which had a lot of mercy and terpenoline and all these other things, and uh, it was making. And he had a predisposition to depression and mood uh, and seasonal mood problems and all these other things. So all he was doing was triggering his genetic predisposition to that. And when I looked at that and I said, okay, I think you need to modify your profile. When he modified his profile. He actually came back and had a really positive experience, uh, much more balanced. And then he was open to uh, other psychotropics. So then he did a journey with uh, psilocybin and also, you know, had an experience where at first it was, uh, you know, he started feeling down and depressed afterwards. And I said, well, you know, just because you had an experience with uh, psilocybin, that experience that you had may have been an experience that showed you the way that you can be. But after you're done with your experience, there's still work. Now, it's not a magic bullet where you just, you know, do psilocybin and you're down and all of a sudden you're going to be happy for the rest of your life. It actually illuminates for, for me and you know, for the experiences that I've been with, with people I know, sometimes it can illuminate for you a path. And after you're done with your journey, it doesn't mean that you have to, consume psilocybin again to get on that path, it means that there's some work to do in your in your life to be able to get there. And that's why I wanted to encourage people to have, uh, I mean, you, you said this whole thing with uh, with having a, you know, a bad trip at Terrence McKenna and those guys, I completely, completely agree. It is a sign. There is something there for you to be able to dig a little bit deeper. The, the issue is some people don't want to dig and they rather bury that instead of, you know, going through the, the pain so they can get over it on the other side of uh, darkness. Mm, yeah, brother. Are you guys going to be studying different psilocybin strains? I mean, five years ago, I had heard of, you know, Golden Teacher and maybe a couple other ones. I had no idea the vastness and variety of psilocybin mushroom strains uh, until probably the last four or five years when I started dabbling with different things, people have heard me talk about my experiences with penis envy and uh, Enigma is a new one. That's, that's uh, pretty <laughs> intense and incredible. But um, do you think you might be able to apply this technology and science to the different strains of psilocybin with the genetics as well? 
I mean, that's the goal. <clears throat> the goal is right now we're looking at psilocybin because the way that it's administered in a clinical sense is psilocybin, right? So it's extracted and it's administered in the in a certain uh, way. We don't know, uh, as far as I know, <clears throat> usually in a clinical sense, you don't know what what type of psilocybin you're getting, whether you're getting golden teacher or something else. You know, we've been I've been a fan of like Paul Stamets for years. I've been trying to study, uh, you know, some of the mycelium work that he's doing. And, and yeah, there needs to be a catalog of all the different, you know, uh, mycelium, all the different mushrooms and, and psilocybin that's available so we can start matching those uh, the same way we do with cannabis. So ultimately that's the goal, but it's, it's about the data that you have, right? So using artificial intelligence, the deep learning, what we build, it's about getting good data. So the more data we can get, the more people will, will provide us that information. What is that psilocybin that you're consuming? Uh, the more clinics respond back, the more testing we do with labs, the same way we do it for cannabis, the better the data that we'll get back and the better recommendations that we're going to be able to make for people. That's phenomenal, brother. Yeah, I, li I like this. The future, the future is bright. <laughs> the future in, is personalization, man. Everything is yeah. personal. Like I already get my vitamins uh, delivered to me uh, based on my DNA. I did my microbiome test, so I actually know what my gut bacteria is and which foods are right for me or not. Uh, you know, everything, everything you're going to be uh, doing is going to be based on your genetic predisposition. Now, the one thing that I want people to understand. Just because you have a genetic predisposition to something, it doesn't mean that it's going to epigenetically show up. And this is the the one thing. Like I've had, I've talked to people. I say, I don't want to know. I don't want to find out if I have a predisposition to early onset dementia. And I'm always the person. Like, why not? Obviously, you you know, looking at biohacking and 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 looking at improving yourself the best way you possibly can. You want to know everything, and so do I. I want to know everything about myself because if you have a genetic predisposition to something, now you can take action, and your action can be well. What do I do to make sure that I don't turn that on, or what do I do to turn that off? It's like a light switch, right? We have these genes, and we have genes that we're sort of born with, or we're locked in. Uh, you know, our, our skin color, our eye color, our, our hair color, our tall we're going to be, unless you have some sort of uh, mutation, those are locked in. But a lot of the other genes are not. They are just a predisposition. They're just your blueprint. So if you do something, you can turn those and activate those. And if you don't want to do that, then not knowing will, you know, there's no way for you to control the epigenetic expression if you don't know what that is. So I would say, you know, whether it's endoDNA, whatever it is, keep looking at studying yourself, looking at your genetics, and then being able to be empowered so you can then epigenetically control the expression. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I laugh about this all the time, but Aubrey and I have the, the predisposition for type 2 diabetes and obesity. And obviously, those aren't those aren't laughable diseases. They're affecting uh, an incredibly high number of people and children now. Type two diabetes as well as obesity, but I'm those are never going to be expressed in my body ever. They will ne exactly. I will never experience that in my lifetime. Your predisposition is not a death sentence. It it allows you to to work with it. If, if you know, it can illuminate on things not to do. I know that if I eat. Um, what may seem like a normal amount of carbohydrates, 
uh, with particular foods like white rice to you know any culture in Southeast Asia, I could I would I would be <laughs> diabetic if I ate that amount of white rice every day. It's just how my body processes it. But knowing those things, I can say like, all right, like that's my cheat meal. If I'm going to have white rice, let me do it cooked and cooled. I'll get some sushi and I'll do it after a workout. There's little things that I can do there that mitigate some of the issues that I would have with white rice. And then if I'm going to eat, if I want something sweet, I can make my own dessert with uh, different natural sweeteners. I can eat some berries, things like that. And I'm not going to run into weight gain, inflammation, and certainly not going to sniff obesity or type 2 diabetes. That's just one of many examples that I've learned from, from checking out my own genetics on a, on a global level, epigenetic-wise, and how those things express. And I think it's super valuable and super important for people to figure out. Talk about your test. Like when people get their results back, and I'm, I'm really sorry that I didn't get it done prior to. I know it's been months, but- um, Kyle, that, that's going to be part two. We're going right. to get your results. I'm going to come back. We're going to go over your results for We're going to do the deep dive. And I got a trip to California uh, in October. So I want to be able to test some of this out. And uh, well, pending they don't lock the entire fucking state down. But um, (laughs) outside of that, uh, should be out there to visit my family and and test some of the waters here with the information that we get to dis- to, to learn about. Mm-hmm. But talk a bit about what people see, like what when, when you go through this, mm-hmm. you do the swab, you send it back in, you get your results. What do the results look like? What do they tell people? Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll go, I'll go through the, the process. So you go to endodna.com. And by the way, we created a code, uh, Kyle20 for your audience. So they can get a discount if they want to take advantage of that. But you go to, to endodna.com. You'll go order the test. The, the test will be shipped to your home. Uh, you open it up. Inside, there's a, a license key. There's a instructions. There's a buckle swab, which looks like a big Q-tip. You swab the inside of your mouth. You register the kit because we're HIPAA compliant and GDPR compliant. So if all the, the, all the information is de-identified, if you don't register, we won't know that belongs to you. Uh, so register it. Uh, ship it back in a self-addressed stamped uh, envelope or box that it comes in, and it'll go to our lab. We'll do the genetic sequence, and you'll get an email, and it also gives you a timeline where your sample is in the process. So it reached the lab, it went through sequencing, and your results are ready. So when it's ready, you log into your secure uh, portal, which is called mydna.live. You log in with your login and password. It decrypts the information, and it gives you the report based on symptomatic conditions. So it'll give you all the different symptomatic conditions, anxiety, cognitive function, digestive. It'll give you if you have drug dependence, uh, immune susceptibility, what type of metabolizer you are, uh, mood, sleep, which is huge, 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 and uh, pain, nausea, all your predispositions. Within that, it'll also give you a uh, individual reports. Uh, the second thing is on your dashboard, it'll also ask you to complete your health survey. So your health survey is uh, your baseline. So that looks at where you are in the moment. In addition, we look at a drug interaction report. So many prescription medications interact with cannabinoids and can create a, an effect. So like some of them are inducers, some of them are inhibitors. So if you're consuming THC, 
uh, or cannabis, like with an SSRI, for instance. So a lot of people say, I want to get off my, uh, my antidepressant, uh, depressant medication or, or anti-anxiety medication. And I'd like to do it with cannabis. Well, if you're doing it together, there may be an interaction when I can actually inhibit the efficacy of your prescription medication. So speak to a healthcare professional and be really careful. Our report looks at different drug interactions and it shows you if one is an, an inducer, one is an inhibitor, as, and it tells you how to, you know, how to dose. And then with all those things, it creates a personalized wellness plan. So the personalized wellness plan looks at your symptomatic condition. Let's say it's anxiety. It shows you your uh, predispositions as they're associated with that symptomatic condition. So maybe somebody has a predisposition of stress reactivity, fear extinction, etc. Then it shows you your THC side effects. So somebody may have uh, impulsivity after THC use or psychomotor control impairment. Uh, or short-term memory impairment, things of that nature. So you should know if you have those predispositions. Uh, shows you your sleep genetics. So some people may be predisposed to uh, bruxism, like grind your teeth that comes out when you suppress your stress during the day, comes out at night. And then at the uh, and then also your dosing uh, suggestions. So dosing based on metabolic function. What type of metabolizer you are? Are you a, a rapid metabolizer? So you can dose more. If you're a poor metabolizer, intermediate metabolizer, it says to reduce uh, your dose by fifty percent. And then it gives you your formulation suggestion. So for, you know maybe. Uh, a one-to-one, like we discussed before, a more balanced formulation with linalool and beta creophylline. Then, when you can uh, when you can display uh, products, we have uh, we take certificates of analysis, which are test results from different products, and we help match geofenced what products are available within your area that are, that give you the percentage of match that closely matches your genetic predisposition. So, if it's a it's if it's a product that's 0.3 percent THC or less, like hemp derived. Uh, you can go and buy and get it shipped directly to your home. If it's a product that is uh, 0.3% THC or more, then uh, you you would go on to the manufacturer's website or delivery service. You put in your zip code, and uh, it'll show you, based on the state and country uh, you're in, because we're, we're international as well, it'll show you what's available uh, closest to you geofenced. So that's it's a full experience from your DNA test all the way to product suggestions. That's phenomenal, brother. And you guys are certainly ahead of the times. I know in Texas it's slim pickings, but <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly uh, I look forward to understanding more about what CBDs will work. And um, and certainly, you know, one of the things I think I remember t- chatting with you about this is that both my wife and I have had really psychedelic experiences with a strain called Gorilla Glue Number Four, and so yeah. I wanted to see if that if that shows up. Like, is there a marker that says like this will make you <laughs> this will be an out of body experience? Uh, it's a predisposition. <laughs> no, we're gonna but we're gonna have to add that. I, I like that out of body experience, but uh, maybe that is the perfect. You know, it hit the nail right. So it bound to all the receptors and it got exactly where it needed to, and then you can kind of dissect why. What are the cannabinoid profile in Gorilla Glue number four? What is the optimal terpene profile? Now, I, I love that that strain myself too, and also another one called Forbidden Fruit. Those two, if they're created correctly, they're grown correctly and cured correctly, those those hit my receptors just right. So I, I feel you on that. Oh, one more thing I, I forgot to mention that if somebody has already taken a 23 Me or an Ancestry or any other DNA test, 
Uh, you don't have to swab. You can just take the raw data that you already own and uh, upload it to EndoDNA and you can get an instantaneous report. That's phenomenal, brother. Thank so you. good, so great having you on. Um, I will link to everything in the show notes for people so you don't have to write stuff down. You can one-click it. It'll all be there. And uh, I look forward to finally getting this done, testing it out in Cali, and then having you back on to discuss the results. Let's do it, brother. I'm excited. I appreciate Beautiful. it. Beautiful. Beautiful, Lynn. Have a great day, my friend. You too.